started a series last week called Prayer in the Holidays, because during the holiday season, we need prayer. Some of us need prayer just to be around our families, <laughs> correct? So um, if you missed the, the service last week, Pastor Roger did a great job kicking us off. So we're going to continue on this morning. Uh, the title of my message is The Discipline of Prayer, and we are going to be in John chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, your pad, your uh, notebook, whatever you've got and you want to follow along, we're going to be taking uh, all of our uh, uh, scriptures from John chapter 2 right there. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. All the scriptures are going to be up here. On the screen, there was a man named Jack LaLanne. He was a uh, kind of a pioneer of, of fitness here in the United States. And uh, listening to him tell his own story, he said that he was a, uh, a junk food junkie until about the age of 15. And at 15, he heard something that just radically changed his life. He heard somebody give a lecture on the benefits of uh, fitness and nutrition. Now, over his lifetime, he wrote many books about fitness. He uh, invented uh, workout machines. And uh, he also, at the age of 21, way back in 1936 which I think was uh, Pastor Sam's senior year in high school. So he's not here. I'm making fun of people, and they're not even here. He, he opened one of the first um, fitness gyms in the United States, and he was also one of the first people that encouraged women to also develop muscle, not just men. Now, as he got older, he shifted his his focus to elderly people because he believed that strength and nutrition would help people live a longer, more satisfying life. Now, just, I want to give you just a few things that uh, Lelaine did in the, the latter part of his life. At age 54, he badly beat a then 21-year-old Arnold Schwarzenegger in an informal contest of strength. In 1974, at the age of 60, he swam six miles from Alcatraz Island to Fisherman's Wharf, handcuffed, towing a thousand-pound boat behind him. At age 62, in 1976, to commemorate the, the United States Bicentennial, he swam a mile, once again handcuffed, towing 13 boats representing the first 13 states with 76 people in the boat. boats. In 1979, at the age of 65, once again handcuffed, he swam a mile pulling 65 boats with 6,500 pounds of wood in the boats. At age 70, handcuffed, he swam a mile pulling 70 boats with people in all the boats. He died at age 96 in 2011, and according to his family, he had been performing his daily workout routine up until the day before he died. <laughs> 
So what is the difference between Jack LaLanne and most of us? Discipline. Right? Here's a little statistic that I, I read. The percentage of Americans who own running shoes but don't run, 87%. Have you seen these people that really like to brag about themselves that have those bumper stickers on the back of their cars that say 13.1 because they ran half a marathon or 26.2 because they, they ran a full marathon? Have you seen these people? Well, um, my daughter being smarty pants... She had a bumper sticker that said, 0.0, I don't run. <laughs> and she still doesn't run. 1 Timothy 4, 7 tells us to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The word discipline there, the Greek word that's, that's translated discipline there is gymnasio. It's where we get the word gymnasium. From And it means to train the mind or the body vigorously. Now, Jack LaLanne, he had trained his mind and his body vigorously for the purpose of his own well-being. But Paul is telling us to discipline our mind and body vigorously for the purpose of godliness. The purpose of godliness. See, some people have this wrong belief that if it's not always easy, it's not God. Or in other words, they think if God's in it, it's going to be easy. I'm here to tell you that just because God is in it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I remember some story about somebody having to drag a cross through town and be nailed to it. That probably wasn't easy. Correct? I've actually heard people say, um, there was a person I was talking to about fasting, and he told me that when he fasts, or when he uh, decides to go without food for the purpose of, of drawing closer to God, he said, I can always tell if God's in this or not. Because as soon as I start, if it's easy, God's in it. If it's not easy, I quit. And I was sitting there thinking, I, God has never been in any fast I have ever, ever done. Because I've never gone on a fast. I have never done without food. And it's been just easy, just exciting. Just, man, I can't wait to not eat this afternoon. Right? You can tell I don't go too long without, uh, without eating a little bit here and there. But I've heard people have that same attitude when it comes to prayer. I've heard them say things about their prayer, like, man, God just showed up today while I was praying. And I'll look at them and say, well, what happens when God doesn't show up? Well, I just stopped praying. Why would you stop praying? Well, I, because God just wasn't all over it. Now, we all love to have those emotional feelings that, that when we begin to pray, it just seems like God's right there in the room with us. But more often than not, with me, I've got to work at it. I've got to press in to it. See, it takes discipline to seek God and to pray. Old timers called it praying through. 
See, there was not this expectation of only praying over something one time. They knew that, that if they were going through something, if there was a test, a trial, a temptation going on in their life, if they were dealing with some physical issues, it, they might have to pray through. In other words, you pray until you get the answer. You don't just go, hey, God, here's my prayer. Thanks for doing it. See you later. They would pray until they knew that God had heard them. And when they knew that God had heard them, they would continue to pray until they saw it. So this morning, I want to talk about six areas of discipline that will help us pray through. And we're going to take all of this out of John chapter 2. Now this story is not about, about prayer, but in this we're going to see six places that we can apply to our prayer lives. And I'm going to read verse uh, 1 through 11, then we're going to go back and we're going to, to break it down. So John, John 2, verse 1 through 11, reading out of the New Living Translation. There was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him there was no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So, so the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now jump back up and let's look at John 2 verse 2. Jesus and his disciples were invited. So here's the first discipline that we can apply into our prayer life so we can begin to pray through. Discipline number one, make sure Jesus is involved. Make sure Jesus is invited to the party. Okay? See, a lot of times we're praying according to our will, not praying according to God's will. When Lisa and I were, were very young in ministry, we had been invited to, to a, a youth service to come and speak. And this was youth from all over this town that had come together. And they had me come and speak. And at the end of the service, I just called all the youth down. And we were going to pray. And I encouraged them just to pray out. Just pray out whatever's in your heart. And some of the kids begin to pray over, you know, situations, over friends they knew that, that were into drugs and things like that. And they were really good prayers, and we were just there to agree with them. Just as we were beginning to, to close the service, this one guy 
he decided that it was his turn to pray. And he stood up and he said, Lord, you know that I just found out today that my girlfriend is pregnant. And you know that she and I are not ready to be parents. So I ask you to kill that baby before it is born. I was like, wait a second. He's not praying according to God's will. He's praying according to his will. Of course, I had, I had to, to, to talk to him after the service. And I know that sounds horrible. That sounds absolutely horrible. But sometimes we want God to fix our mess with allow, without allowing him to uh, deal with the reasons for the mess. See, there he is wanting God to fix his mess. But there was no repentance in his heart for what had brought him to the place of the mess. And we need God to deal with our hearts. Uh, Lisa and I, before we had kids, we used to, we, we traveled with an evangelist. And we were in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and uh, doing a crusade. And at the end of the service, we'd called people forward to pray for healing. And this gentleman came forward and he said that he, that he had lung cancer and he wanted God to heal him of lung cancer. But in, the, in his shirt pocket was, was a package of cigarettes. So the evangelist said, sure, I'll, I'll pray for you. Hand me the cigarettes. And the man said, no, you can't have my cigarettes. He said, I don't want to stop smoking. I just want God to heal me of lung cancer. See, he didn't want God to deal with his addiction. He just wanted God to deal with the fruit of what was going on in his life. And we've got to understand, God is concerned about the fruit, but we don't usually get upset until we see the fruit. God wants to push past the fruit and deal with the root of what's really going on in our heart so he can truly heal us up and set us free. Verse 3, the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So here's discipline number two. Pray for what only he can give. Pray for what only he can give. There was nobody at that wedding besides Jesus that was going to fix this problem. And we need to understand that in our own lives, the things that we're dealing with, there's only one person that's going to be able to deal with it. And it's Jesus. But let's don't lie about it. We try to fix it ourselves a lot of times, don't we? See, it takes humility to say, God, get involved in this part of my life. It takes humility. It, it takes a, us an understanding of our limitations. It takes a dependence on righteousness, which is God's ability in us. But a lot of times we want to fix it ourselves. We want to do it ourselves. We want to be self-made men. We're operating in pride. In fact, pride is a counterfeit for righteousness. Self-righteousness. There are areas in our lives that God wants to deal with. Well, we're trying to take care of it ourselves. And any place that we're trying to take care of ourselves, we're saying, Lord, I don't need your ability. I've got my ability. Now, we wouldn't consciously say that, but that's exactly what we're doing. 
So it makes a lot more sense now where the scripture says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God is not just saying, hey, I don't like you. you got an ugly attitude. What he's saying is, I have to resist you. You cannot come to me because you're trying to come to me on your own. You're trying to come to me according to your righteousness, your pride, your self-righteousness. And God only accepts the righteousness that he's given us. That's the reason he gave it to us. So we could have right standing with him. So we could come before him. Anything we're dragging before him that we're trying to fix ourselves, we're trying to do ourselves, we're in an area of self-righteousness. And we need to get to the place where we're asking him to take care of it. We need to be going after what only he can give us. We don't need to be bringing him Cain offerings. You remember Cain? Cain decided he was not going to do it the way the Lord wanted to do it. He brought him the offering that he wanted to bring him. And the Lord said, I don't, I don't respect that offering. Also, the wine. What does wine even represent? In the Bible, wine represents joy. Joy is only coming from the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Wine represents blessing. True blessing only comes from the Lord. It represents love. We have to have the love of God to even be able to love others. We have to have the love of God to be able to love ourselves. Wine represents revelation, wisdom. We need that from the Lord. And wine represents healing. Healing only comes from the Lord. Verse 5. Do whatever he tells you. Now, this should be a duh moment. Do whatever he tells you. But the problem is, we don't do what he tells us to do. When you're in a time of prayer, don't do all the talking. Sometimes we spend all of our prayer time telling God about everything that he already knows about. You need to have the discipline to sit and, and calm your soul down, calm your mind down, and listen to the Lord. What is the Lord saying to you? And how is the Lord saying it to you? And when we talk about hearing God, not everybody hears words, and that's okay. God may give you a picture of something. He may give you an impression about something. That's still hearing and, and giving you an opportunity to respond to God. I hear people all the time say, I don't hear God. That is not true. You're just not listening to God. When we were the youth pastors, we used to get the kids together and we would do exercises on hearing God because I wanted to prove to them that every one of them could hear God. And I remember there was a time where we had gotten together and I said, you know, just close your eyes and I just listen. And we'd ask, we'd ask the Lord some questions. And there was a young man sitting over in a chair, and it had gotten quiet in the room. And he just jumps up, and he goes, I can hear God. I just heard God. This is the most amazing thing in the world. I just heard God. God just spoke to me. Well, he had a revelation. You can hear God. God is speaking, and he wants you to hear. And then the next part is, it's not just hearing, but it's doing what he says to do. Do what he says to do. Once again, while we were the youth pastors, my, my oldest daughter, Elise, she's trembling now because I'm telling a story about her. She's going, no, I'm not. Uh, 
There, there was a time that she walked up to me at, at the end of a youth service. She was probably in the sixth or seventh grade. And she walked up to me and, and she said, Dad, what does Deuteronomy 14.11 say? I don't want I don't, I don't to ruin this for anybody, but I didn't have that one memorized. Okay? She said, what does Deuteronomy 14.11 say? And I said, I have no clue. She just grabbed a Bible, and she walked over to, the, to these two girls. She said, the Lord has told me to read Deuteronomy 14.11 to these two girls. Now, the, the back story is we used to pick up a bunch of kids. We used to drive around all, all over Tyler and pick up a bunch of kids and bring them to church on Wednesday nights. And these were not church kids. These were, these, these were kids that, that were coming from, from rough homes rough backgrounds and there were some girls in in that group that were cutters and I didn't under that was the first time I had have ever heard about it and, I, and it still doesn't make sense to my mind but these young ladies would would take razors and they would cut themselves and I said why would you do that and one of the girls with big tears in her eyes told me she said because the pain that I feel coming from the razor cut helps me forget about the pain that I feel every moment of every day of my life. And she said, this pain is nothing compared to the pain in my life. This helps me cope with the pain of everything else I have to deal with. And if you don't think that, that there's not a cause for us to stand up and be the people of Jesus, there is. Because there are people out there that their only escape from life is to take a razor and cut themselves. Well, these two girls that Elise decided she needed to read this verse to were both cutters. And she grabs that Bible and she walks over there to them and I'm watching her and I'm going, Oh Lord, what is about to happen? Because <laughs> I couldn't think of much of anything good out of Deuteronomy that you would want to be reading to somebody. And she opens it up and she reads it. And the translation that she, that, that she had grabbed, she just happened to grab this translation. And it says, when you're mourning or when you're sad, don't cut yourself. And that word from her opened those girls' hearts. And she was able to minister to them. we got to do what he says to do. There's a purpose behind each and everything that he asks us to do. Verse 6. Standing nearby, there were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. So here's number four. Discipline number four. Pray even when it's hard work. Pray even when it's hard work. Most of us don't just go to our jobs when we feel like it. If you do that, you probably won't have the job very long. There are just things that we have to do even though we don't feel like we want to do it. We have to do it at times when it feels like it's hard. Hey, these are, these are big water jars, 30 gallons this thing would hold. And there's six of them. Now, they didn't just drag a water hose over there and put it in there. We'd be impatient at that, wouldn't we? 30 gallons, good Lord. 
They had to go to the well or the stream or whatever their water source was and bring it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Go get water, dump it in. Go get water, dump it in. This took some work to do. And there's times in prayer when it feels like work, but you do it anyway. You press in anyway because sometimes we don't see the answer quickly. But we got to keep working. We got to keep filling the jars. Many of you know, most of you know, and if you don't know, you're about to find out. I spent a good part of this year and the end of last year very ill. In fact, at this time last year, I was already sick. I was sick with, with, with a life-threatening disease. And I spent most of, the, most of that time bedridden. My body hurt. Everything hurt. I couldn't move. And there were times I didn't feel like praying. I knew I needed to pray. I didn't feel like praying. And there would be times when just barely a whisper was all the strength that I had. And I would make myself pray. And I would pray the same thing over and over and over and over. I would say, Lord, in your word, in Romans chapter 8, it says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And if that spirit which dwells in you, if that spirit that dwells in you, if that spirit dwells in you, then it will make alive even your mortal body. And I would tell the Lord, Lord, I'm filled with your spirit. Your spirit lives in me. I'm one of your kids. Your spirit lives in me. So therefore, that spirit will make alive my mortal body. And I would say, Lord, I receive resurrection life into my body. And there were times when I didn't feel it. I didn't feel good. I didn't want to do it. I'm barely whispering. I'm barely talking to God. God, I thank you for resurrection life. I thank you for resurrection life. I thank you your spirit dwells in me. I don't know why it took so long. I don't know why I had to spend so much time in the hospital. But I know that I know that I know when God flipped the switch. Because laying in the hospital bed and the doctor saying, we're not sure you're going to make, make it through this. So sorry, Mr. Bauer. We're not sure you're going to make it through this. And I'm still saying, resurrection life. Resurrection life. Resurrection life. And then like that, God turned. He turned me around that corner. He brought healing. He brought strength. I went from, I went from the ICU to getting out of the hospital in just a little over a week. Because God is good. But it wasn't always easy. It's what I'm trying to say. When, when it doesn't feel good, when, it, when you don't think you can do it anymore, keep doing it. Keep pushing. Keep pressing. Somebody's life may depend on it. I know I wasn't the only one praying. I know my wife was praying. I know many of you were praying. But keep pressing. Keep pushing. Somebody's life is on the line. 
And if not physically, spiritually. You're going to be with a bunch of family around Christmas. You may have heathens in your family too. Keep praying. Keep pushing. Because God wants to save them. God wants to set them free. John chapter 8. I mean John verse 8. John 2 verse 8. Now dip some out and take it to the master's ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. Here's discipline number five. Prayer requires faith. Faith requires action. After all the work, after all the work, it was only the the action that brought the miracle. You understand that, right? If they had not obeyed, when they dipped that water out, it was still water. The miracle happened on the way. And your miracle may be happening on the way. There was a a situation a few years ago where uh, a a young lady who was a relative of, of somebody in the church had been diagnosed with cancer. And they were getting ready to do uh, all these big tests on her to figure out how they were, gonna, how they were going to um, uh, work on this cancer. So um, her aunt actually brought her to church, and we were going to pray over her. And we brought her up front, and Corey Hooper was, was with us when we were praying. And just as we begin to pray, Corey looks up, and he said, uh, God said, march around her seven times and shout, just like the children of Israel marched around Jericho and shouted. And if that is done, this cancer will fall just like the walls of Jericho fell. And then Corey just starts his little marching around. And he goes, woo! Woo! And I'm standing here looking at him going, you look really dumb. You look really stupid right now. I was a little bit embarrassed for him as he's marching around in this weird little march and going, woo, woo. And he got done, and I think everybody was kind of shocked. They are just kind of looking at him going, okay. A little behind-the-scenes story. There happened to be a Baptist preacher um, visiting that morning, and I'm sitting there thinking, I wonder what he's thinking. Is he waiting on the snakes to come out or, or something like that? But Corey did this. He was, he was obedient to what the Lord said. And this little girl went to, went to the doctor the very next week. Now, they had just diagnosed her with cancer. She goes to, doc, to the doctor this next week, and the doctors could find no cancer. You see, not everyone's going to get it. Not everyone's going to understand it. Not everyone's going to agree with you, but you do it. You do it. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you, because prayer requires faith, and faith requires action. Now, verse 11, this will be our last verse. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So here's discipline number six. Your prayers answered will benefit others, so tell them. Do you get that now? That was really, really quiet. When God does something for you, 
you are required to tell somebody about it. Okay? When God, when you've done the work, when you've pressed through, when you've prayed through, when you've seen God answer your prayers, tell somebody else about it so they can believe. Because their faith is waning. They need to be strengthened. Everyone can benefit from your miracle. Everyone can benefit from your answered prayer. So tell them. Tell them about it. So what do I want you to do? What do I want you to know? That always comes before what you're supposed to do. What do I want you to know this morning? Prayers that get answered take discipline. It takes discipline to push through until the answer comes. The discipline to pray. God's heart not just yours. The discipline to seek after what only he can give. The discipline to seek, to listen, I'm sorry, the discipline to listen and do what he says. The discipline to keep praying even when it seems hard. The discipline to let your faith be seen in your actions. And the discipline to tell others so they can believe also. So what I want you to do, I want you to ask God to help you become a disciplined prayer. And then I want us to repent where there's been areas in our lives where we've lived according to our righteousness instead of His righteousness. We all want to see our prayers answered. I don't think anybody prays and crosses their finger and hopes that God won't listen. That would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? God, I hope you don't hear this prayer. God, I know you're busy. Answer everybody else's prayer. Just don't answer mine. When we go to the Lord, we want answers, don't we? We want the Lord to answer our prayers. So let's be disciplined prayers.